celebrating that, that the local war hero is coming back. That's the theme of Luke where we are and we pick up with Luke chapter 4. Jesus is returning to his hometown. He's been gone for like a year. And we would assume all of those things would happen, right? The joy and the celebration and, and the hometown boy that's gone out and made a name for himself is, is coming back. How in the world does the text end with them wanting to throw him off a cliff? This homecoming rejection. You know, when John says in John 1, 1, he, he came to his own and they received him not. I mean, that's, that's talking about the Jewish people. Uh, it's, it's also talking about here. He came to his own hometown and they rejected him. And um, before we walk through the text, I, I just want you to know this. Before you, everything in our flesh wants to look at them and be like, how could y'all? I mean, what is going on in your souls that you could do such a thing? Just beware. If it weren't for grace, we would have all done the same thing. Let me show it to you. If you would take your Bibles and stand together with me. We're in Luke 4, verses 14 to 30. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as he stood up to read. And the scroll of all the prophet of Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all who spoke well of him marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things... All in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill, which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. 
<clears throat> the grass withers and the flower fades. Stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, would you, would you meet us here this morning with grace for our souls? Show us how loved we are. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I want to show you something in verses 14 and 15 before I show you what I think of the two points of the text. So between the, the wilderness temptation that we ended with last week and verse 16, about a year has transpired. And all Luke tells us is this. Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went throughout all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. That's all he tells us in this, this year that's gone by. And, and everybody speculates why we don't get more detail. He's traveling around in local synagogues. He's teaching and, and he's, he's, he's doing miracles. We would say uh, he's, he's made a name for himself. He's grown in popularity. Word about him is spreading why doesn't Luke tell us more about this first year of ministry? I think the silence tells us something. And it's this. I think Luke is setting Theophilus up for what is to come. As in, there are about to be a lot of teaching and healings and miracles. And there's going to be signs of acceptance. But Theophilus, there's going to be a lot of rejection. All the way to the end at the cross. I think what Luke is doing here specifically is identifying Jesus as a prophet. And, and he's, he's kind of giving a foreshadowing that he is the last and greatest of all the prophets. Prophets were called by God and had the spirit upon them and went where they were called. And in, in general and in the main, their own people would, would accept them at the beginning for a brief time. And then would return on them. And reject them. And banish them. Or attempt to execute them. That was the life of a prophet. So Luke here begins with Jesus' public ministry identifying him as a prophet and showing the similarities um, with him and a prophet. So notice the first thing that we see in the text, and that's the rejection of Jesus's identity. <clears throat> in verse 16, he travels roughly 20 miles from where he has been for the last year to Nazareth, his hometown where he had been brought up, so everybody knows him. As was his custom, he goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Because Jesus is there, the synagogues are run by those who are in authority and they would choose who would read on that given day. So word is spread that Jesus is back. Naturally, hey, why don't you do the reading today? So they hands him a scroll and he stands up to read as they did. And they gave him the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right? Now, think about this. You, you would stand up, you would read the portion of the law or the prophets, and then you would sit down after you read it, and you would explain, your sermon would be seated, and you would explain to the people what you had just read, what it meant. With Jesus being back, with Jesus reading this famous text from Isaiah, he's declaring to them <laughs> that this is about me. That, that, that this was written hundreds of years before this day and it is coming to fulfillment before your very eyes. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior. And his ministry will be proclaiming good news to the poor. So, so to identify with this message, with this ministry, with this good news, you're going to have to identify as being poor, right? That's going to be big in a minute. He was sent to proclaim liberty to the captives. To identify with that, there's going to be a sense that, that you're going to have to be able to relate to captivity. Freedom from enslavement. That you're going to have to be able to relate to being enslaved. This good news is for those who are poor and captive and blind and oppressed. That's wonderful news for those. It's wonderful news for the blind that, that there's one that can give sight. And for the oppressed that there's one who can, who can to deliver from oppression. Those who are being crushed beneath the weight of life. He, he's going to do those things physically. But in the main, we're talking about spiritually, right? The Spirit is the Lord upon me and he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, to recover sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed spiritually, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's the year of Jubilee in Leviticus 19. You may remember that. That'd be a great homework assignment today. If you don't know what that is, every 50 years in the year of Jubilee, the slaves are set free, debts are forgiven. Land is returned to its rightful owner. It's a year of freedom and, and liberation and the, and the ground has rest. Jesus is saying what the, what the year of Jubilee points to is me. Because I am here. I am bringing in reality what the year of the Lord's favor, what the year of Jubilee just symbolizes. It's all found in me. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began, now here's the sermon. He began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. 
All of those things that we've looked forward to for hundreds of years, they are all fulfilled today in me. And, and you'll, you'll miss the entire text if you don't get this. This is why it doesn't go over well with all the hometown crowd that knows Jesus, that watched Jesus grow up, right? It doesn't go over well with people who think they're okay to tell them that they're poor and captive and blind and oppressed. Does it? I mean, everything's going great until somebody's like, hold on a minute. And all spoke well of him in verse 22 and marveled at the gracious words coming out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now, that doesn't mean what you think it means in seeing what comes in the rest of the tax. It's not like, is this not Joseph's son? Where did he learn this great oratory skill and learning since he's been gone? This is with an, with an inward gnashing of teeth. Is this not Joseph's son? Hold on a minute. We know you. Like, isn't he the one that made your aunt's table like 15 years ago? We know you. Who do you think you are that you would, would return and call us these things? Poor and blind and oppressed and captive. Jesus, we don't need sight. We don't need liberty. We don't need freedom. Who do you think you are? Is this not Joseph's son? And the answer is a million times no. Listen to what one commentator says. Jesus is not Joseph's son. The answer is no, 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 a million times no. As the voice at the river has declared, as the family tree has revealed, as the devil himself has already admitted in the gospel of Luke, this is the son of God. And what it means for him to not be the son of Joseph, but the son of God, the new Adam and the founder of a new mankind, he goes on immediately to make plain. Y'all, what they reject is his identity, which will be indicative of most of his ministry, which is what Luke wants Theophilus and us to see. It's the reason why so many people today forfeit the hope and the grace and the mercy and the power and the deliverance and the restoration of the gospel of grace, right? 
The grace that they miss is is that the reason why our brokenness and bondage and blindness and captivity is restored is because Jesus isn't the son of Joseph. He's the son of God. It is far too low a Christology to just say, oh, he was a prophet. He was a good example. He was a good teacher. Y'all, that doesn't go far enough. Not nearly far enough. He is those things. But make no mistake about it. He is the Son of God. And that's the reason why what we preach is good news. Because as the Son of God, our hope is that He can restore all of the years of our lives that the locusts have ravished. Our hope is that he can raise the dead to life. How is he going to do those things if he's not the son of God? The first thing they reject in the text is his identity. The second thing they reject is his grace. Permit me to get a refill. This part of the sermon is brought to you by Kirkland's. He responds in verse 23. Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. Um, Here's what that means, because that that sounds like an odd response, right? Uh, What he's saying is, in this culture, um, doctors and medicine were pretty suspect. Uh, It was kind of like trial by experiment. And so... Um, if, if you had something and the doctor comes to see you, um, they would, they would, Hey, why don't we try this? And, and you in all likelihood could say, you know what, doc, I tell you what, why don't you take it first and let me see how it turns out. <laughs> Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. And then there's one word in the next verse. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Do you know what the one word is? What we just heard that you did. We ain't saying we believe it. We just heard you've been... You didn't, you didn't bother to come back home. All that stuff we heard you did at Capernaum, why, why don't you do us one of those things? If you want us to believe that you are the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah, just, just do one of those things we heard you did. And Jesus responds, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Now, if you go back and look through the scriptures in the Old Testament, in a general sense, this is true. And so Jesus makes this statement. He's basically saying, look, what happened with the prophets is about to happen with me. This is the way that y'all are going to treat me. Generally speaking, prophets are rejected in their own hometown. Meaning, Y'all are going to reject me as well. 
And then he gives, he gives two illustrations that this is what did it. This is what, what got them so angry this day. They didn't even let him finish the service. All these synagogue services ended with a benediction. This one didn't. Like, could you imagine getting to the end of the service and me making you so angry about something that it was, I mean, they run him out and are ready to throw him off a cliff. They don't even finish the service. <clears throat> In truth, I tell you, verse 25, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine had come over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And you're sitting there going, so what? What does that mean? Why would this make you so angry that you want to kill him? Let me tell you. <clears throat> There's a great famine that lasted three and a half years. It was a bad one. And there were many widows during that time. That, that was almost the lowest on the socioeconomic scale. We've talked about that. Can't own property, very limited ways to earn income. Israel has their own women to deal with during this famine. But God sends Elijah, his prophet, to none of the widows of Israel. He sends Elijah, the prophet, to this widow in the land of Sidon. Here's what that means. While he doesn't send them to his people, he sends them, he sends Elijah to one of his enemies. This is the story where Elijah goes to her and she's on her last meal and he says, give it to me and you won't run out of food. Remember that one? Like, this is all she's got left. Hey, I tell you what, if you let me eat that, you'll never run out of food. Can you imagine the faith to believe that? She did. Jesus is saying, during the famine... Who did God show grace and mercy and favor to? One of your enemies from Sidon. In all likelihood, a Baal worshiper. A widow who was poor. Now that, that people would have started... The bottom lips would have started quivering, but we're just getting started. There's one more. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. This is a great story. Um, I mean, now we've gone from widows to lepers, so, so we've gone from bad to worse. You didn't want to be two things in this culture, a demoniac or a leper. If you were a leper, you got to go live outside the city with all the other lepers and rot to death. So 
So in the time of Elisha, Elijah's successor, they've been conquered by the Syrians. And the leader of the commander of the Syrian army's name is Naaman. So Naaman, leading the Syrian army, has conquered God's people. They're leading them off to captivity, and Naaman gets leprosy. And there, there, there happens to be this, this young girl who is one of the ones that have been captive. And she says, hey, if y'all get the word to, to Naaman, there's a prophet who can heal him. And so they take Naaman to Elisha. It's a great story. I wish we had time to. Elisha doesn't even bother to come to the door. He just sends word. Go tell him to wash seven times in the Jordan and he'll be clean. And Naaman is irate. Why would we have to go all the way back there and wash in the Jordan? There's plenty of other water around here. But he eventually goes and is healed. So both the widow and Naaman are enemies of the people of God and they are the ones that received his grace on these two occasions while it is withheld from his people. Because on these two occasions, it was God's enemies that had faith. That's why they're so angry. Even if reluctantly like Naaman, they heard his word, they believed his word, they obeyed his word in faith, and they were healed of leprosy and poverty. And now here's the stinger. And they knew it. And they didn't even ask for a sign. Now, everybody knows exactly what he is saying. The poor, the blind, the captive, the leprous, the oppressed, the enemies of God with face got his grace. But not us. Hold on. This is not the way it's supposed to work. We're in the synagogue. We uphold the law. We do all the prayers. We offer the sacrifices. We do all the stuff. We're the ones who get his grace and favor Jesus because we're the ones that earned it. And Jesus is saying, no, no. Because that's not how grace works. This mission, this good news is for all people. It is not just for the Jews. Because all people are born enemies and at enmity with God. All are poor and blind and captive and oppressed by sin. And unless we can own that and embrace him by faith, his grace will be withheld from us as well. And we will never see the kingdom of God. Now here's, the, here's what is so scandalous. This is what does it. It's this truth. Excuse me. J.C. Ryle said this. Of all the doctrines of the Bible, 
None is so offensive to human nature than the doctrine of God's sovereignty. To be told that God is great and just and holy and pure, man can bear that. But to be told that God has mercy on whom he chooses is a truth that the natural man cannot stand. And it often fills him with anger towards God. Know any people like that? What do you mean giving salvation and healing and restoration to the Gentiles, our enemies? No, no, no. We're the ones who get it because we're the ones that have earned it. Brothers and sisters, the synagogue on this particular Sabbath day was filled with elder brothers. You know any of those? Elder brothers don't normally make it at our church very long. Elder brothers are the ones who are judgmental and arrogant and entitled and those who think they've earned and deserved and merited all of God's grace and favor while the poor rest of the ones like us are just trying to figure it out. You know any of those people? And they are so angry all the time. Jesus is just declaring it doesn't work like this. It comes to those who don't think they have earned it or deserved it and know that they're broken and needy. I'll tell you something real quickly. This wasn't in my notes. It either means it's going to be dangerous or great. <coughs> we, um, we went to New Orleans Thursday night. My wife and I try to go once a year in December and, you know, see the lights and all that jazz. And um, the next morning we got up and we ate brunch and we we're about to come back. And she said, hey, can I shop for like two hours as long as the car's still in valet till two o'clock? I thought, great, yeah. That's what I want to do at New Orleans, wait for you to shop. Proverbs 31, husband, go ahead. And so um, she's shopping and at brunch, I mean, I drank like a pot of coffee. And I said, I got to go find a bathroom. I'm like, I'll text you. And if, if in the French Quarter, you would think it's easy to find a bathroom. It's not. And so, I mean, I walk like half the thing and end up on Canal Street at the, at the hotel that has the mall. And I walk in, I'm like, where is the bathroom? And the lady's like, it's on the third floor. And blah, blah. I'm like, You've, I mean, I'm going on 30 minutes. And I started looking for it. And so I finally get up to the bathroom and, and there's a guy coming out just in disgust, like refuses to be in there. And I open the door and I walk in on the third floor uh, by the, the food court in the cinema, and it happens to be the bathroom that all the male homeless men have found. Because where else are they going to go? And I mean, it, it, I can't even describe it to you, but there's one guy on the floor, and he's digging through his bag, and, and the stalls are full, and one guy's literally like bathing in the sink. And I remember thinking, this is spiritually who he came for. And if Jesus would have been in New Orleans on Thursday morning, that is exactly where he would have been. And woe is us spiritually if we can't identify with those men. 
I mean, they were happy to talk to me and walk, and I hung out with them for a little bit. Y'all, you have to see it in your own very life. We are all one of those two types, right? You're an elder brother. Look at my track record. Look at my behavior. Look at my life. Look at my service. Look at all the bad things I didn't do. Or you are constantly amazed that the public restroom would be the only place where that you would have to bathe yourself. And despite your track record and your behavior and your life and your service and your standing, the reason why you're getting grace is because it's Jesus' track record and behavior and life and service and standing that matter and not your own. Now we'll close with verses 28 and 30. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. I mean, could you imagine? Like furious wrath. All of them. And they rose up and drove him out of town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their city was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Why would they do that? Because you kill prophets by stoning. And you can stone people by one or two ways. You can do it the old-fashioned way. And everybody gets a, a couple of rocks and here we go. But if it takes too much time, you take them to the edge of town. You push them off the cliff. They fall down and crash on the rocks beneath. Both ways are considered stoning. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. They're about to throw him off a cliff. Pretty similar to the last temptation which Satan brought before him, wasn't it? Throw yourself down. Your father will protect you. It's almost like the elder brothers in the synagogue go, hey, don't worry about it, Satan. We'll handle it for you. We'll throw him off. best part of the text almost and I've missed it for 50 years but passing through their midst he went away how did that happen Luke doesn't tell us had to have been miraculous though right time out he just did in his hometown what they heard he did in Capernaum oh they got a miracle it just wasn't the kind they were expecting. Sovereignty again. Because no one will lay a hand on the Son of God before the appointed time when he will allow them to lead him to the cross to be slain for your and my sin and not one second beforehand until the appointed time when it's time for him to go and die for his enemies. And here's the bombshell of the text in our application this morning before we head to the Lord's table. 
as far as we know, he never returned to Nazareth again. Which means this, and and I I say this because I love you. I don't say this to scare you. I don't say this to anger you. You got plenty of other things you can get mad at me about. Do not get mad at me for telling you the truth. Get mad at me for something else. You better be very careful if you are at a place in your life where you are persistently rejecting the lordship in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You better be very careful. Because let me tell you something. You don't ever know when it'll be the last time in your life like it was in Nazareth either. And so before we head to the Lord's table, he came for the poor and the blind and the oppressed and the captive. My prayer this morning is that maybe, maybe this would be the day of salvation for some of you. Let's pray together. Father, you can do it. We know you can. Would you open the eyes of the blind this morning spiritually? Would you raise to life the dead souls? Would you give them faith and trust and belief in spite of doubt and rejection? We commit them to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have communion this morning. Uh, If you don't have the elements yet, you're